but anyway. All right, today we're going to look at winds of change. And it comes from Jeremiah 31, 31 to 34. I've been waiting three weeks to preach this. <laughs> I've been waiting three weeks to preach this sermon. I'm really excited about it. I know we're small in number this morning. Pray for those, seriously pray for those that are sick in our church. So <clears throat> next week I'm going to preach a New Year's Day sermon. But I, I want to focus on this because it was in the Christmas series that I was doing I didn't see any need not to preach this, so we're going we're gonna to go through it. So Jeremiah, background. His name means Yahweh establishes, or Yahweh exalts, or Yahweh hurls down. Any one of these could work. My understanding would be that Yahweh establishes, because he's going to establish something in Jeremiah, even though the nation of Israel had basically turned from God and were led into to captivity and, of course, into exile. So, but I do believe that, and I put these three up there because those are the three uh, ones how scholars translate his name. Uh, secondly, his father was Hilkiah. He was a member of the Levitic, uh, Levitical priesthood. So uh, Jeremiah comes from a, a, a line of Levitical priests, and the priests were the ones that handled the sacrifices, all the, the Torah issues that came along. His ministry was in the 13th year of, of Josiah until the exile of the Israelites. Something interesting about Josiah, think about this. He came to the throne at eight years old. <laughs> that would be, Grace, how old are you? She's nine. That's scary, Right? He came to the throne at eight. So he came, Jeremiah did, under the 13th year. So that would put us, what, 21 years old is when uh, Jeremiah came under Josiah. The dates of his uh, prophecy, if you will, 627 to 586. And in 582, Jerusalem falls. And the big question is, why did Jerusalem fall? Well, I'm getting ready to tell you. The situation. Israel was steeped in idolatry under King Manasseh. King Manasseh, in my opinion, was the worst king ever in the nation of Israel. He was evil. He led the people of Israel away from God, and he created this, this environment of idolatry. And so, so goes the king, so goes the nation of Israel. And when a nation turns its back from God, what follows is usually not good. Josiah comes in, he establishes some reforms. So when this eight-year-old king ascends to the throne in Israel, he, through advisors, decides that we need to get rid of idolatry. So there's going to be some reforms in the nation of Israel. King Manasseh is dead. He's gone. He was evil. And so now I'm going to establish some reforms. And we're going to get back to God. Okay, well, the reviews are mixed. He removes the outward forms of idolatry, tears it down. But what didn't change was the hearts of the people. Let me say this this morning. Outwardly, you can look good, 
but inwardly still have not changed. And this was the case with the nation of Israel. Tragedy, Josiah dies and Israel immediately returns to its wicked way. So here's, here's the thing with Jeremiah. Jeremiah, speaking through God, realizes that the old covenant won't work for the people. It works for God. God is holy. God is just. And everything that God wrote in the Torah was perfect and holy. The problem was not on God's side. The problem was on our side. We cannot meet a holy standard. And so for the first time, and by the way, some of the language here is unique to the Old Testament, which should signal something that this is, this is major. First of all, let's look at what we're going to look at this morning. A new covenant is coming. And we look at God's action in verse 31. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Hey, knock, look, behold, listen, listen, Israel, listen. It carries that type of idea. He's trying to get their attention. Behold, the days are coming, and it would take 600 more years for the arrival of what is promised here in Jeremiah. Now, we break this down a little bit, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Hadash is the word new. Listen to this. Pertaining to something not known before. <laughs> what was not known before was this new covenant. This new covenant is going to be crazy different than what God made with the nation of Israel before. I will make a new covenant, and that word covenant is the word breit, and that can mean several different things. I'm going to give you my uh, breit covenant. Ultimately, it means to cut a contract. The root of it means to cut a contract. Uh, it has three different meanings, particularly. It can be an a marriage agreement, and I put possibly better because of the language in verse 32. My covenant they broke, though I was their husband. I have said all along that when God made the nation of Israel's covenant at Mount Sinai, the word covenant means to cut a contract, but it also means to enter a marriage relationship. We fast forward to the New Testament. We are the bride of Christ. He is our groom. And the same thing is ha happening here in the Old Testament where God says, I may, I, I'm going to make a covenant with you. It's, it's going to be a covenant that is going to be a personal covenant, not a national covenant. I know many, many people think that, well, Israel's God's chosen people. That's absolutely true. But there's more to it than that. And we'll get into that in just a minute. It can mean a pledge, a binding oath of promise. By the way, listen to me. God never reneges on his promises. We might renege and fall away from God, but God never will. And then... Ultimately, it means a treaty agreement between two parties. So God says, I'm going to make a covenant with you. 
This is a new covenant. This is something that you've never experienced. This is not something that, that uh, you've known before. This is going to be totally different. And in the grand scheme of God's plan, God knew this. We've been saying it from the beginning of this Christmas series that there's nothing that escapes the notice of God or the foreknowledge of God. God knew this. God knew before the foundations of the world, Ephesians says, that I will choose you in Christ and I will bless you in the spiritual realms with all blessings. He knew that before the foundations of the world. So what, what we have here is God out of time and the world events are moving and then we have Jeremiah and Jeremiah says behold the days are coming declares the Lord when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah here's the map <clears throat> here you see the northern kingdom that's the kingdom of Israel Samaria Shechem Bethel J Jaffa Jericho and then you drop down and you have the southern kingdom which in the first uh, captivity that were not taken over. You remember that? We, we, we looked at that. Only the northern kingdom because the leaders were corrupt. Here you have Jerusalem, Lachish, Hebron, and Beersheba all down in the south. So God's saying, I'm going to make a new covenant. There's a new wind blowing here with the house of Israel in the north and with the house of Judah in the south. This is going to cover the nation of Israel. And we'll go on to find out that this expands well beyond Israel. So that's God's action. God took action here through Jeremiah. The problem was we have Israel's failure. Again, the issue is not God's failure. The issue is our failure. Now, listen to what he says. Behold, the days are coming when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day that I love this language listen to this on the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt so what we have here what we have here is God's involvement Hazak Yad Hazak Yad when God took the nation of Israel by the hand you notice the intimacy there, even though God knew the nation of Israel was going to falter and fail, return to him, fall and fail, return to him. God took them by the hand. There is the dimension here of divine intervention. Since he's mentioned it, Egypt, we're talking here about when God did a miraculous thing through Moses and Aaron. I, I, love, I love the Ten Commandments, and I, I'm surprised I forgot to watch it this year. Um, it's one of my favorite, Charlton Heston, let my people go. Uh, I love it. But um, here's what God did. This is what God did. Each one of these plagues, and there were 10 of them, each one of these plagues was aimed at the Egyptian gods. Did you know that? Osiris was the last god that was defeated. Cyrus was the king of life, but he couldn't stop death. And I think about the other day I was reviewing this sermon, and I was thinking about that Christ defeated death. 
1 Corinthians. Death has been defeated by Christ. God offered Israelites, if you just put the blood of, of a perfect lamb on your doorpost, you'll be spared. I'll pass over you. And so even then, God gave a choice. <laughs> and we look at how Israel got out of Egypt. It was by God grabbing their hand, doing miraculous things for them, and leading them and guiding them out of bondage. Brothers and sisters, that's a picture of what Christ did for us. All the miraculous things that Christ did. And then he went to the cross to pay for your sin and mine. Isn't that wonderful? That all of your sin has been forgiven. It is done. It is finished. When Christ died, he said, it is finished. And he gave up his spirit. But he didn't stay dead. Christ rose from the dead. He defeated death. And God defeated the death of uh, life on this uh, Egyptian God. It was the last God that God deleted and defeated. So they couldn't stop it. Basically told Pharaoh, every God that you have, I am greater. And God led the nation of Israel out. What a wonderful day. And can you imagine 400 years in bondage and God says, I'm going to take you by your hand. Uh, when, I, when I think of that, I think of a, a father taking his son or his daughter by his hand and just leading them. But Israel, according to the covenant language, God was taking his bride by the hand and leading her out. It's great, isn't it? Wow. We have, a, we have ideas that, and, and I've preached it too, but God was still intimately connected with the nation of Israel. He loved Israel like a husband loves his wife or is supposed to love his wife. Not like the covenant I made with your fathers on the day that I took them out and led them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant they broke. God didn't break it. God can't break it. Pay rush race. Pay rush race. That word broke means to violate a treaty. Now listen to this. This is important because of the language. So to be in a state of disassociation. So when they broke it, and for example, Manassas led them to idolatry, which is one of the commandments, thou shalt not have any graven images. Uh, they turned their back on God and in a sense disassociated themselves with God. Then he says, though I was their husband. I think, of, uh, I think of all the Old Testament images. Hosea comes to mind. When God said, I want you to marry Gomer. Gomer was a prostitute. Hosea goes, God, why'd you do that? He said, well, I'm going to give you an image. 
That's the nation of Israel. They've prostituted themselves against me. It was a word picture for the nation of Israel that they had sent. And this is over and over and over again. This is Israel. This is Israel. Up and down, up and down. Following God, not following God. Do you know what that is? That's a picture of us. That is a picture of our lives at different times in our lives. Just depends on which day. Snap. Which picture you get. You know it's true. You don't always live for God, right? I know. I know you can't lie. This is, we're live too, so you can't lie. The difference between them and us is that Christ died for it and keeps us in a right relationship with him. Now here we have the word husband, baham, to be married. Dr. Haney, uh, I'll never forget Dr. Haney. He, I said, well, you know, Dr. Haney, it was in class one, one day, and, and, and <laughs> Dr. Haney was a little wiser than I thought he was. You know, back when you're in Bible college, you know everything. And I was very vocal about my knowledge. And I said, well, you know, Dr. Haney, when we get saved, and he goes, Michael, 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 Michael. And I go, yes. He goes, let's start saying a covenant relationship. And then he went on to write on the board, the covenant relationship. And that day I started realizing that I need to start thinking differently about salvation. Not that Christ, not, not anything about Christ but about the covenant that I made with God October 12, 1981. It was a contract. That's what this word means, a new covenant, a new contract. The old contract only allowed the priest to make intercession. <laughs> okay. In the New Testament, Christ is our ever-living priest who ever lives to make intercession on our behalf before the Father. So if you died and you hadn't had your sins forgiven in the nation of Israel at the time this was going on, you had big issues. Not so here. He says, when I was your husband, Christ saves us and we follow him. Now, there were times in the nation of Israel where there were periods of covenant revivals. Number one, under Moses, for sure, when he made the covenant with them at Mount Sinai, that was a renewal of the failure of the nation of Israel. Then there was one under Joshua. Joshua stands boldly before the nation of Israel and says, Choose this day whom you will serve, either the God of your fathers and your forefathers or your not following God. And then there was a covenant renewal in Samuel. There was a covenant new renewal under Hezekiah, 2 Chronicles 29 to 31. Then there was one under Josiah, 2 Kings 22 and 23, 2 Chronicles 34 and 35. But nothing stuck. None of these revivals stuck. And by, by the way, I had a <laughs> kind of a funny story. The other day, I, I get this instant message from this friend of mine. Um, uh, and he goes, is this, 
Michael Frazier, who was with me at Florida Baptist Theological College. Terry Campbell is his name. So Terry, if you're listening, he's, he's preaching today. So, but he, said, he says this, do you still jump over the pulpit? <laughs> I, I don't ever remember jumping over a pulpit. I'm not sure, I'm really not sure that I could pull that off. I do remember preaching one Sunday and they had a, uh, it was on, up on the, the stage there, they had a church. And I got so excited in my sermon that I kicked the church. <laughs> and it went flying into the front row. And I said, don't worry, the church will never fail. It'll never fail. Um, Yeah, so we, we, re, we reconnected. He's still pastoring, and that's good. that's good to know. And he invited me down. He said, uh, I want to get you down here, and I want you to preach a revival. It's, it's in Alabama, down in Alabama. So I have to learn to talk like Alabama's talk. So I, I, I told him, you just give me dates. I'll go down, and I'll, I'll preach the revival for you. By the way, they still have revivals in the South. It's all gone up, up here. And I think that's kind of a shame that we've lost the idea of revival. But he invited me down and I said, you just give me a time and I'll, and I'll come down. But these revivals didn't last. Why didn't they last? Because it was a heart issue. Yes, Lord, we'll follow you. Okay, I'm doing this. Yes, Lord, I'll follow you. Now I'm going to do this. Yes, Lord, I'll follow you, Manassas. Let's go worship these gods. The issue was nothing stuck because the heart was not changed. There's a new day coming. F.B. Huey writes in his commentary, what was needed as God revealed through Jeremiah in this passage was not another covenant renewal but an internal transformation of people based on divine provision of complete forgiveness. The issue was that the people were still sinning because nothing had happened inwardly in their lives. They, they, they did all the external stuff. Even when Josiah pulled down the idols, made all the reforms, the people didn't worship outwardly, but they worshiped inwardly the gods that were not supposed to be worshiped. God has always been concerned about the heart. This has always been a heart issue with him. Because you can look great on the outside. I go to church. I give my money. I pray. But don't look at me on Monday through the next Sunday. Because my life won't show it. Don't look at the outward because God looks at the inward. He looks at the heart. And this is the reason. This is, I love this quote because it is right. The divine provision of complete forgiveness. We had to get to this place where God would completely forgive our sin. And I'll argue just as hard as anybody, any other preacher, that when Christ died on that cross and he paid for our sins, it was finished. Otherwise, 
we are in trouble. How many of you this week sinned? Well, if Christ didn't pay for that sin, and I did too. If Christ didn't pay for that sin, brothers and sisters, we can't go to heaven. But the complete forgiveness was settled at the cross. So this new covenant that is coming, it will be radical. It will be radical. 33 to 35. I'm actually surprised my voice has held up this long. I preached this in my head the other day, and I, I couldn't get through it without coughing. But today I'm doing good. And it will be radical, and it will be internal. But now, this is, he's just got through saying, it's not like the covenant that I made with your fathers when I led them out of the land of Egypt. And oh, by the way, the one they broke, even though I was their husband. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, 600 years, declares the Lord. Let me ask you a question. Where's Judah? Where's Judah? Notice. But this is a covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. He just got through saying, Behold, the days are coming when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. What happened to Judah? That's because God's getting ready to solidify everything. This new covenant will end the northern and southern kingdoms and God will deal with the whole nation of Israel. And I would maintain that it will also involve the nations of the world. I spoke too soon about coughing. Listen to this beautiful language here. I will put, this is verse 33, I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts. The word law there is Torah or Torah. And that's a regulation, the written code, a legal prescription of something that must be done. That's the Greek word for Torah or Torah. Some scholars say Torah, I say Torah. But it's a legal prescription of something that must be done. And I will write it on their hearts. Now the words with them, kerev, kerev means the inner part of the person. The word write is katar, and that means to inscribe, to engrave, not on stone, but on the heart of the person. And then he goes on to say, I will write it on their hearts, lave. It refers to the mind, the soul, the spirit. Jesus was once asked, Lord, what is the greatest commandment? And Jesus said this, to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is likened to it, love your neighbor as yourself. That's a compilation of the Ten Commandments along with all the other commandments. It either deals with our relationship with God or our relationship with one another. God says, this, this is going to be a new way that I will deal with you. See, God already knew this. He knew there, need, there needed to be a change because man could not 
uphold holy standards. I go back to the man that was talking to Newt Larson. I'm going to heaven because I obey the Ten Commandments. I, I preached that last Sunday. It was kind of a, a sermon sitting behind my desk, so it lacked the, the normal enthusiasm, and I was still trying to get through this stuff. But Newt Larson listened to this guy, and the guy said, well, he said, how, Newt Larson said, how do you know you're going to heaven? He said, I'm going to heaven because I obey the Ten Commandments. Newt Larson thought for a minute. He goes, name them. And the guy stumbled through two or three of them. By the end of the conversation, Newt Larson led him to save in faith in Christ. Because the guy realized even his own standard he didn't reach. He said, oh, I, I, I'm going to heaven because I obey the Ten Commandments. He didn't even know what they were. And by the way, what is the standard to get into heaven? It's sinless perfection. That's imputed by Christ to us. We have his imputed righteousness that cleanses us from all of our sin. Makes it new. Warren Wearsby writes this, but the new covenant isn't just another renewal of the old covenant that God gave at Sinai. It's a covenant that's new in every way. The new covenant is inward so that the law is written on the heart and not on stone tablets. Fail. Not that God failed, but that man failed. The emphasis is personal rather than national. Absolutely true. Isaiah said there's a day coming when the nations will flood to God. And he will establish his peace. With each person putting their faith in the Lord and receiving a new heart. And with it a new disposition towards godliness. God's going to work inward so that we begin having a transformation take place in our lives. And many of you have seen this. You know this to be fact. When I first got saved, it took a while for me to realize what all this meant. And actually, 37 years later, I'm still trying to figure out what it all means. But I do know that my life has changed. Not perfect. But I know who I have believed and am convinced that he will keep that which I committed unto him until that day. I don't fear death. Death is nothing but a portal to see Jesus. So we have here the Ten Commandments coming inward. By the way, all those laws. In fact, every one of these comes over into the New Testament in a transformed way. God says, I will write my law, my Torah, on their hearts, and it'll be radical. It's always been a heart issue. Jesus raised this issue as well when he was here and among us. Jesus said this, Matthew 15, 18 to 20, but what comes out of a mouth proceeds from the heart and defiles the person. You catch that? The Jewish lawyers, they look good outwardly. But inwardly, they were corrupt. By the way, every time 
God got ready to do something, it was because there was corrupt leadership. For out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murderers, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defiles a person. So it's what comes out. It shows what's in. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. Jesus' day, I, I take this kind of funny. Because they were so religious. They did this. They did that. Oh, you can't wash your hands. But I can have hatred in my heart and be okay. But as long as I'm clean outwardly and I look good, listen, listen, listen. God doesn't care what you look like outwardly. What He cares about is the heart. He cares about what is inside you. That is going to be examined by Him and is being examined by Him. And so our call as believers is to change inwardly and ask God, Look, Lord, here's my life. I want you to take it and make what you will of it. And I'm going to surrender my will to doing what you have called me to do. People jump up and down on Sunday mornings. They get all excited and then they go home and you don't even think they've ever even come in contact with Christ. And so he says here, I'm going to change this. This is going to be new. It's going to be internal. It's also going to be relational. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor. This is God speaking through Jeremiah. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor saying, Know the Lord. Jeremiah writes, God writing through Jeremiah, For they will know me. This is going to be relational. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. Key point, key point, underline this. For I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sins no more. That's the issue. God said, okay, I've, Christ is going to be coming. He knew that before the foundations of the world. But this gives the nation of Israel and us a glimmer of and that's what Christmas is about. It's about the birth of hope. It's about the birth of love. It's about the, 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 the birth of, of life. This word, I love this word, no. I just like the sound of it. Yada. I love that. Yada. And that means to possess information about God, but it's more than that. It means to know God. I remember Bill Fote. Boy, I, I really miss Bill Fote. Bill sat right over there. I could see him. One day I was walking out, and Bill Fote looked at me, and he said something to this effect. He said, really good sermon, Pastor. And I said, well, thank you, Bill. I said, why do you say it was a good sermon? He said, well, because I've heard a lot of bad ones. <laughs> and I know what a good one looks like. I, I, I didn't, didn't really explore it. He wasn't talking about me. At least that's the way I look at it. Um, 
But he, he said, I, I, I know what a sermon should sound like. Listen, God promises to forgive our sins. We're going to have a personal relationship with God. Do you have a personal relationship with God this morning? Those of you that are listening, watching by Facebook and our stream on our face, uh, website, do you know Christ? I'm not asking you, do you go to church? I'm not asking you, do you go to Sunday school? I'm not asking you, do you help the homeless? All of those things are good, but please know this, that will not get you into heaven. You have to come into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ by faith. That's it. That's the whole ball game. Because you can be a good person and do a lot of good things and miss the kingdom of God. You have to have Christ. So before this new year's over, if you're not sure you're saved, maybe you stumbled across our, our Facebook page or whatever, and you're watching this, and you need to know that you're going to heaven, please IM me. You can just do that right there on our Facebook page. IM me, friend me, I don't, it doesn't matter. I will get back with you and we can talk about how you get to heaven. Which is trusting in Christ, asking for forgiveness of your sin. Well, actually, asking for forgiveness of your sin and trusting Christ to cover all of your sins and make him Lord of your life and your heart inwardly. And I will forgive their iniquity. This is God speaking. And I will forgive their iniquity, their sin. And I will remember their sins no more. James Smith makes a really great observation. Everyone under the new covenant would know the Lord personally as their Savior, for they would have their sins forgiven by him. The basic knowledge of God would not need to be taught to those under the covenant because such knowledge would be essential to gaining admission into the covenant Israel. By the way, Paul writes, you are not a Jew outwardly, you are a Jew inwardly. And by the way, when you trust in Christ, you become connected to the nation of Israel. You are a Jew inwardly. You've been circumcised, Paul writes, at the heart. So let me, let me say this. We are so blessed. Do you realize that? We are so blessed to know that God has forgiven our sins. And how should I live in light of that? How should I spend the rest of my life knowing that all my sins have been forgiven and everything he has done for me, I want to live for him. He is my husband. We are the bride. How should we love our husband, Christ? 